Good morning, Lake Church. Hallelujah. God is good and greatly to be praised. Amen? Hallelujah. Are you ready for some more of Imager? Amen. Are you sure? We had a good time studying the origin of uh, Hillel and uh, how he became what we know as Satan or as the devil. And uh, we're going to go, we're making our way down the board. For four weeks, we were just here. Now we're here. Okay, so we're, we're going to get into the recreation of the earth. Because we know that Lucifer's rebellion, as they call Lucifer, which is not an accurate name for him, it is... Uh, uh, the uh, the title that the Latin Vulgate gave uh, to him, but uh, we're going to see him again in Genesis chapter three, and we're going to turn there, Genesis chapter three. I feel that it's important that we go over biblical history because the greatest cover up in history is the cover up of history, and if there is any. Um, alteration or any error in the first five books of the Bible, especially in the book of Genesis, then John 3.16 is compromised, literally compromised. We have to understand that the Bible is an error and that the Bible is the truth. Jesus declared, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Amen? Jesus is the word of God. Therefore, he is the truth. He is the reality, which causes us to understand, if we're truly biblically accurate, that the life that we are now living is not the reality. It is an alternative to what God desired for the human race. And so we're looking at that from the standpoint of the creation of mankind as an imager of God and how that the enemy is now turning mankind into its image. Demonic spirits, fallen angelic hosts, enemies of God have usurped the authority of the planet to bring about their idea of civilization. They are living through and in the human populace to bring about their nefarious agenda and bringing about a hell upon earth. They are not your buddies. They are not your friends. Oh, they may talk to you and pump you up. They may tell you that those other people don't understand you, but they do. They'll tell you to cut yourself. They'll tell you to hurt yourself. They'll tell you to hurt others so that you will feel good about your situation. They'll bring you in all kinds of offense to where you're filled with bitterness and hatred, where where anger just begins to permeate within your soul like a crockpot, ready to go off at any time. Violence begins to be the fruit of your life because they promote it. They promote division. They promote fragmentation. They seek to divide and to conquer, and they're working effectively in the earth today. And we have to understand that two worlds or two kingdoms are trying to come into this world. There's the kingdom of God that comes through the risen Lord Jesus Christ into the hearts and lives of everyone that believes upon his name. The fruit of the Spirit and the kingdom of God flows out of the body of Christ and is the doorway by which God works in the world. But then there's also another kingdom that is trying to manifest, and that kingdom comes through the fallen hearts of men and women. And those that are carnal in mind, they can still control and deceive and manipulate. And so what we're learning here may seem elementary, but I will tell you it is not. It is the basis by which we have every other belief system in the Bible. 
If the book of Genesis is error, then the whole Bible is in error. And we've got to understand that a literal interpretation of this scripture is what is needed in this day and this hour. In the era of higher criticism in which seminaries and churches have even turned against the validity of the Word of God, we must stand up and say we will not tolerate it, we will not receive it, we will walk in the truth of God's Word. Amen? And that's what we're endeavoring to do. That's the reason why it's taken so long to get through here. But uh, you've got to understand that these revelations are, are integral. You cannot understand the book of Revelation without an understanding of the first 11 chapters of the book of Genesis. Because it's all, God says, I declare the end from the beginning. And so we begin to see these things begin to come into manifestation. What was a seed in Genesis is a fully formed tree in the book of Revelation. Amen? So we're going to endeavor to get in in the remaining time that we have here today. I'm grateful for the move of the Spirit. Amen? We have a saying around here that I think everybody should understand. If it's weird, it's important. Amen? If it's weird, it's important. And it's vital for you to understand that. That the Bible isn't just a cookie-cutter sitcom that lasts 28 minutes and gets resolved at the end. It is open-ended. It requires a relationship. To walk with Jesus is to walk in His Word and to walk with His Word. You need to start treating the Word of God as if it is a personality, for it is. It's the very Word base of Jesus Christ Himself. And when I open it up and I study it, when I take it into myself, into my mind, and into my spirit, I am interacting with the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I'm allowing the Holy Spirit to instruct and lead and guide me and show me things to come. Because he promised us that that would happen in John the 16th chapter. He said he will show you what he'll take what is mine and he will make it you. He will make it you. It won't just become some form of knowledge. He will make it you. He will cause you to be conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. He is transforming us from glory to glory into the image of the Lord. Amen. So in review... Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God created bara in the Hebrew, created something out of absolutely nothing, the heavens and the earth, period, pop. That's one, one scripture right there, bam. The next says, and the earth was, actually it's the word, became without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. So we see that the earth became a perfect, created from nothing to a mess. The mess was not the creation, because it was created without form and void. It was created not in form and void. Amen? It wasn't created in vanity, the Bible teaches us. We looked at those scriptures. It was created perfect. So what happened? Well, we found out what happened. In Isaiah 14, in Ezekiel 28, and also in Ezekiel 31, we see the story of Hallel, which is what we know in our culture as Lucifer. And basically the name means light bringer, our breaker of the dawn, or the light. Now notice he is used as a son of the dawn. Dawn means the beginning, so we know that he was created before the earth realm was created. And all the angelic hosts were created before the earth was created, according to Job 38. We looked at all these scriptures. I'm not going to go over them again, all right? So through his rebellion, he was over the earth realm, which was some kind of angelic civilization, a civilization other than the civilization that you and I are in today. That civilization was judged because it rebelled against God along with him. And that flood came that destroyed the earth. Noah's flood did not destroy the earth. 
It destroyed every living thing upon the earth except for eight people. The fall of Lucifer, or Lucifer's flood, as theologians call it, destroyed everything. Where the land and the, and the earth was utterly uninhabitable and enclosed in darkness. And that's the reason why when God came to refurbish and restore the earth, which he does not use the word bara after Genesis 1-1, unless it's the fish and the fowl and the animal life. Okay, The rest is recreative, our restoration, bringing order to chaos. And that's what our God does best. Our God speaks over our chaos, and he brings order to our lives. Praise God. And we can see that as the Spirit of God hovered over the chaos... And praise God, you can have God hovering over your chaos right now, but nothing's going to happen until you speak the Word of God and say, let there be healing, let there be restoration, let there be... The Bible says that the Holy Spirit hovered over the faces of the deep And God said, let there be light, and there was light. Amen? So everything from Genesis 5 on down through the 26th verse, we see they're restorative. The stuff was already there. Amen? It was already there. It wasn't created out of nothing. It was something being refashioned and recreated, and then the creation of the fowls of the air, the beasts of the field, and the fish of the sea. Those are important statements. There's not a word in this Bible that doesn't not need to be there. And it's said the way God wants it said. Amen? And so there's no superfluous words out there. Amen? There's not just, you know, filler. Hello? There's a lot of filler in our world today. Have you ever ate cereal? And you look at the ingredients, and then it says filler 35%. Well, there's a whole lot of filler going on in churches today. Hello. Now, I'm not saying that I'm not guilty of fluffing it up because I'm human. But what we're trying to endeavor to do is to keep it as lean and mean as we possibly can. Amen? Hallelujah, as I'm able to in my understanding, all right? So uh, let's look at Genesis chapter 3. So after the recreation of the earth, we know that God began to reestablish certain things in regards to the earth realm. Now, one of the things that this guy's continuing to be loose, this little red guy here, and so after he has brought chaos and has been judged, he still remains, and he comes in and he begins to try to redo what he did back here. So that's his whole point. He is the chaos comp or the struggle of chaos that is trying to come against the order of God. And that's the whole thing. And we got to understand that majority of the world today is trying to operate in a form of entropy against the order and against the construction of God. So he, he, uh, the enemy seeks to destroy and eliminate what God has set in place. And that's the reason why when we look at, uh, I believe it's First Timothy or Second Timothy, where it talks about, uh, know this, that in the last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own self, lovers of money. And it begins to talk about disobedient to parents. Come on now. See, these are all the spirit of Antichrist is the spirit that rebels against godly order. Now, when it comes to our earth realm and the fact that we are all fallen, doesn't mean that the people that are in those places of authority are perfect. However, we may not necessarily have respect towards the person as an individual We must respect the person in the office that God has put us. Come on now. Amen. We've got to understand that God has placed this order, this structure in the world. 
And so all these structures are being torn down. We began to see incredible chaos come into our nation around 2020 election. We actually began to see it in the 2016 election. And we're beginning to see it again as it begins to try to ramp up to bring confusion and chaos again that causes people to back down, causes people to not stand up tall, causing people to not have confidence that they need to live this life. But I'm here to tell you, 2024 will not happen like 2020 because the church has woke up and we're no longer timid and being distracted by the cares of this life, the deceitfulness of riches, and the lust of other things. Amen? And I'm telling you, that's where we were. You know, that's where we were for 20 plus years. The church was more concerned about physical wealth than it was about spiritual wealth. Amen? Hello, I've got too far. You're, you guys are looking mad at me now. All right. Okay. Now, after all this is established, let's look at Genesis chapter 2, and let's look at verse number 25, because this is really where this starts. It says, And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. And that word naked is the word arum in the Greek and it, uh, in the Hebrew, and it's a play on words. And it basically does not mean nudity. It means the fact that they were complete. It means the fact that they were free of shame. They were free of guilt. They were not manipulated by external things. And inside, they were one with God. Amen? It means they were shrewd. They had intelligence. They stood in what God had brought them into. Amen? But notice what it says in chapter 3 and verse number 1. It says, now the serpent was more crafty. Okay? Everybody say crafty. That's the word arum. Same word. So Adam and Eve were crafty. Adam and Eve were shrewd. Adam and Eve were intelligent. Adam and Eve were whole. But this serpent was more. Did you get a hold of that? This serpent was more. Well, let's go back to the scripture that we looked at in uh, Ezekiel. Or as one guy told me in my discipleship class, Esickle. <clears throat> Ezekiel, chapter 28. Notice what it says in verse number, let's look at verse number 11 or 12. It says, Son of man, raise a lamentation over the king of Tyre and say to him, Thus saith the Lord God. Now, we showed you last week, he's not speaking to the king of Tyre. He's speaking to what's behind the king of Tyre. Now, this happens all through the scripture. Amen? Do you remember when Peter came to Jesus after Jesus was talking to him about his passion and what would befall him when he went to Jerusalem? And Peter said, Far be it from you, Lord. That will never happen to you. And he says, Get thee behind me, Peter. Is that what he said? No, he said, get thee behind me, Satan. Peter was being used by the devil to tempt Jesus and not go through, because he was tempted at all points like as we are, yet without sin, was trying to tempt him not to follow through with his passion. He said, get thee behind me, Satan. So when it comes to a serpent talking or something conveying and communicating, just like a king or a president or some dignitary or some authority figure, we can understand that there can be something speaking through that person, that there's an entity behind the personality. Amen? And that's exactly here with the king of Tyre. He says, notice this, you were the signet of perfection. So we're talking about him being more a room or more crafty, more shrewd, more intelligent than Adam and Eve. Because he was. That's exactly what he says. He says the serpent. The actual word is nakash in the Hebrew. And it doesn't mean snake. It means bright, shiny, glistening one. Okay? So you're not attracted to ugly snakes. If you are, something is wrong with you. I've never looked at a snake and said, oh, that's just so beautiful. I can stand here 
and look at this thing for hours. Let it climb on me. Let it climb on me. Come on, come on. No, 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 no. We depart. We part ways. Amen? I don't care. Now, I know there's some people that love snakes, and if you're a lover of snakes, I feel sorry for you. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. No, you're attracted to beautiful things. Amen? Amen? Now, notice this. He says, you were the signet of perfection. That meant that he was absolutely perfect. Now, notice this. Full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. So, this serpent, this Nakash, was the signet of perfection, full of wisdom. He didn't receive his wisdom based upon experience. He received it as a download and a gift from God. And perfect in beauty. Okay? So it says, now the Nakash was more crafty than any other beast. That word beast there is the word for living creature. It's not for the beasts of the field, so to speak, in regards to cattle and various animal uh, species. He is a living creature. Amen? In the, in the uh, New Testament, it's the word zoon, and it just means a, a living creature created by God. So here we have this nakash, which is where we get the word for seducer, where we get the word for enchanter, and where we get the uh, etymology as you break it down, Casanova. That's where words come from. So he wasn't some nasty old snake hanging in a tree. He was a beautiful creation of God, filled with perfection, filled with wisdom, and filled with all of this beauty. He was beautiful. And that's the reason why Eve and Adam were attracted to him. You see, if he's got his big horns and his big long tail and he's reddish, because we have to understand that cherubim, in the biblical sense, resemble bulls. I could go a whole other hour on that. I won't for the sake of time. But understand, how many remember uh, Psalm 22? Anybody remember Psalm 22? Oh, all these Bible school students, I see. I'm going to point you out. (laughs) Psalm 22, it's basically a prophetic insight into Christ on the cross. He says, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Okay? Now, he's hanging on the cross, and he looks down, and he says, the bulls of Bashan encompass me. Now, he doesn't mean that there was livestock walking through, you know, coming around there and a big old group of livestock around his cross. He's talking about bulls in the fact that they are demonic entities, are fallen cherubim that look like ox. Bashan is the place up north where Mount Hermon is, which we'll study a little bit later. And this is the place of the snake dragon. Okay, so this region was a region where a lot of the demonic strategies and forces came against Jerusalem. It was spiritual, um, it was spiritual territory. It was demonic spiritual territory. In fact, majority of Jesus' ministry was not in Jerusalem. Oh, guys, are you with me? was not in Jerusalem. It was in the regions of the north and also in the middle portions because that's where the battle was. Amen? Okay. So we see this Nakash, this entity, and he is beginning to lure Adam and Eve to the one tree that they're not supposed to partake of. And that's really what he does today. He lures you to the one thing that you ain't supposed to be messing with. And it doesn't matter. I mean, you can have a hundred trees to partake of, but yet you want that one. Come on on now. 
It's just like people, they get their IQ goes down when they get into the realm of lust and desire. When you start getting into the realm of lust and desire, your IQ plummets. You act like an El Stupido. Hello. And when you want something so bad, you need to understand, I'm under attack. When you want that promotion so bad that it consumes your thinking and causes you to neglect your family and neglect the people that you love, you're under attack. If you want a person so bad that your other relationships are failing in respect to that desire, you're under attack. If you want a physical possession so much that you're willing to even compromise your beliefs and compromise what you stand for, you're under attack. Amen? And that's exactly what was happening here. They could have partaken of all of the fruits of the trees that were all around the garden of God's pleasures, but yet they were attracted to one because someone was luring them to come and have a conversation. Let's just have a conversation around this one thing that you aren't supposed to partake of. Let's examine that. Let's have a dialogue about this. And that's exactly what he does when he lures you to the computer screen. That's exactly what he does when he lures you to the bar. That's exactly what he does when he lures you to the, you know, the weed store. Come on now. That's exactly what he does when he leads you to the seedy part of town. That's exactly what he does when you're hanging around someone's house you shouldn't be hanging around. When you're messing with someone's wife you shouldn't be messing with. When you're flirting with that secretary at your workplace. I mean, you got all these wonderful people around you and you're just attracted to one person. You need to watch yourself. You need to watch yourself. Hello, check yourself before thou wreckest thyself. <clears throat> Amen. You can have any tree. Tree of life was a part of those trees. Tree of life. But no, it's not as alluring because he highlights what we can't have. Amen. That's the reason why our... our entire culture is filled with lust, desire, envy, and jealousy. It's because we want stuff that we're not supposed to have, and we desire things that we know are bad for us, but nobody's going to tell us what to do. Have you ever tried to tell somebody that's in the midst of lust? Now, I've got a little chippy dog, and he's just uh, he's a blessing to me. Until Dennis's dog gets in heat. I absolutely love this dog. He sits on my lap. He's sweet. I just enjoy him so much. When Karen was gone to Uganda, he was just a wonderful presence in my life. I know why old people have dogs now. But when something gets in the air, he loses his mind. You want to put him out forever. Put him out of his misery. He moans and whines and sits by the door and wants to go out at all times of the night. He goes to Dora's place and goes around and around her trailer. We have to drive and pick him up to get him to come home. He doesn't want to come home. He runs from me, my friend, my master. He runs because he's in a state of lustful desire. Now, he's instinctual. He's got a reason for what he's doing, but we don't. We got a brain. 
we're supposed to be higher than the animal kingdom, than the canine kingdom. But yet I've dealt with people whose nose is so filled with the scent of lust and desire that they do not have any common sense whatsoever about what they're thinking about, what they're doing. And they will actually fight you. That's what Chip does. I used to get licks. and he does. When I pull up in my car, it's like he looks at me. Oh, crud. He doesn't want to see me. Come on, have you ever had someone in your life that you had good fellowship with and all of a sudden they won't return your calls? All of a sudden they, want, they turn their back on you. They don't want anything because they know you're going to sit there and tell them that messing with that married woman isn't right. That porn is not the answer for them. That they need to stop this behavior right now. You're, you're walking in love with them. You're trying to tell them and trying to keep them from making a major mistake with their life, but they can't see it because they're so filled with lust and desire. Okay? Now, this is amazing to me because Adam and Eve lived in a perfect circumstance. The only thing they were forbidden to partake of is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And it's not because God was withholding from them. It's that God wanted them to learn these processes through relationship. That's the reason why the tree of life was based upon relationship. And Jesus is our tree of life. The more we walk with the Lord, the more we partake of his life, and we're able to begin to be changed and transformed. But we need to understand that what Lucifer was enticing them is to, is to take a shortcut, is to get bypass relationship, because we don't need this old fogey with his rules and regulations. We, we don't need him putting the governor on our knowledge. And that's where a lot of young people are today, is that they have a phone in their possession that has access to all kinds of knowledge, but no teacher. See, Jehovah wanted to walk Adam and Eve through understanding of these things. He wanted them to graduate to another level. That's the reason why they were made a little lower than the angelic host. Actual word is Elohim, which, as we have studied before, is not a name of God. It's translated God. But it means spiritual being. It means locality. It means type of being. So we see that this Nakash was an Elohim. So he was higher in level, of course, in knowledge and in beauty and in every way. They were under him, and he seduces them into thinking that partaking of this tree will get them to his level. Because he didn't say, now listen, guys, don't get mad at me. Read what the Bible says from the original language. He doesn't say you're going to be like God the Father. That's not what he said. He said you're going to be like Elohim. You're going to be like us. You're going to know good and evil just like us. Okay? Understand that. They were already at a higher level in their relationship with God Because God wasn't just going to download wisdom. They were not just going to be born with this wisdom. They were going to learn this wisdom through experiential relationship with God. That's the reason why he walked with them in the cool of the day. That's the reason why they interacted with him and saw him face to face. This was a new relationship. Angels were already made with wisdom, knowledge, beauty, and the giftings that they had. They didn't have to come into an awareness of them. That's just who they were. But God decided to change the creative order and create a being that was not only in His image and likeness, but would progressively grow in maturation and understanding the knowledge of good and evil. 
He said, I don't want you partaking of this fruit. And we understand from Ezekiel chapter 31 that trees are symbolic of people, personalities. In Psalm 1 it says that we are like a tree. The righteous are like a tree. Over and over in the book of Psalms, we see that people are symbolic, are metaphorically attached to trees. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil was a person. It was the fallen one. And to partake of him is to partake of his doctrine, to partake of his understanding, to partake of his view. Okay? Let's look at another scripture here. Let's go to, are, are, we, are we okay? Okay, all right, I won't keep you too long. Just tell about four. Boy, that was a bad laugh there. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Notice this. The Apostle Paul gives us an idea of what happened in the garden. He says, I wish you would bear with me in a little foolishness. Do bear with me. For I feel a divine jealousy for you since I betrothed. Everybody say betrothed. That means that I set you up. I set you up and gave you away. Amen. How many have been married? Okay. Your bride was given away, but given away by her father. Come on. Paul says, I betrothed you, not to myself. Boy, a lot of leaders need to understand that. Not to myself, but to Jesus. He says, I brought you in, raised you, told you the gospel. And then I'm giving you to him. Amen? So I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. Isn't this amazing that he's saying this to the Corinthian church? The Corinthian church was the most licentious sexual church in the whole New Testament. And he has the nerve to call them pure virgins. Oh, that's good news. That means that Jesus' blood cleanses and washes you from all sin. He says, I betrothed you as a pure virgin to Christ. Amen? But notice what happened here. It says, but I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived, led astray, spoiled, ruined, defiled, and destroyed Eve by his cunning. That means that he misled by clever reasonings and specious wisdom. See, there's a wisdom that seems to be wise, and it's not. It looks good. Well, that makes a lot of sense, brother. Yeah, you're speaking my language. Yeah, but it's not right. There's some hook in it. There's some poison in it. Amen? See, the devil doesn't just package and give you a a nasty-looking stuff. He puts a little bit of poison in something beautiful, something that will bring advantage to your life. Go ahead and take that. You'll be better off. Go ahead and do that. You'll be better off. Oh, you just need to go ahead. You know, don't get your reservations out the door. Go ahead Mess this person over, you'll be up another step. After all, you've got to take care of your family. After all, you've got a mortgage. After all, you know, you've got a $700 car payment. Come on. And all of a sudden we think, oh, that sounds good. (laughs) And we begin to go and do the very thing that's going to bring compromise to our lives. That's the reason why God wanted a relationship with humanity in which he could bring him to a level to where he could understand these things through experience. Now, I had the wonderful joy of watching an old movie that I actually did a teaching on when we did God on Film called The Color of Money. How many have ever seen that movie, Color of Money? 
That's when Tom Cruise was pretty cool. Okay, not really. But um, anyway, and it has one of my favorite actors, Paul Newman, in it. Now, Paul Newman is someone that has seen the rougher side of life. He's experienced certain things, and he sees a gift in this young man. Now, when you're young, you focus on two things, how and when. And that's really the way the Nakash lures you. He doesn't want you to look at why. He wants you to look at how and when. Because we're all impatient. Even if we have everything right, we have a trouble, trouble with being, you know, in a place of contentment. There just seems to be something that we're always reaching for. Always need. We could have everything and be at a place where we could be contented, but there's just something in us that drives us, wants us, wants something more. More, more. And that's really the spirit of this age. Get more, get more. You see, $80,000 a year is not enough. $100,000 a year is not enough. $150,000 a year, we want even more. $200,000 a year until we just, we, we're, we're insatiable in our appetites because what's driving us is the why. And we don't want to understand the why. The book of Proverbs says that all prosperity, all achievement of man is due to envy of his neighbor. There's the why. Why are you driven to get a bigger boat than your neighbor, to have a bigger house than your brother, to have a bigger promotion than your co-workers? Are you striving to get ahead that is bringing toil, that is bringing uh, all kinds of stress in your life, that is causing you to create a kingdom that you inevitably will not be able to sustain the rest of your life to put you in the ground early? Because that's exactly what it's going to do. But we don't understand the why of that. We just understand it's the American dream. We're going to have the big house with the white picket fence, with the 2.5 kids, and we're going to live the American dream. But there's a fine line between the American dream and the American nightmare. Because the Bible says, what good is a man or woman that gains the whole world but loses their soul? So what does the enemy look like? See, there's, there's a whole lot of, when I talk to young people, it's how, when, how. When? I see a lot of 50-year-olds. How? When? And they're not concerned with why. Not concerned with why. And that's exactly what uh, the character played by um, Tom Cruise was asking. He was asking how and when. And his mentor was trying to teach him. Why? And people revolt against why. And that's exactly what the Nakash did. Notice what he said. Let's, no, notice, let's read this again here. With his cunning, your thoughts, notice that, he comes after your thoughts. Your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes and proclaims, notice this, another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you received a different spirit from the one you accept, or uh, from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel. So, what is he trying to lure you into? He's trying to lure you into a different Jesus, another Jesus, because there's a lot of them. There's a lot of them out in the world today. But then he wants to give you a different spirit. And that's exactly what happened 
when they partook of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they received of a different spirit, which basically replaced the spirit of God. This is a spirit of death. Death is qualitative. It's not about cessation. It's about separation. When you're separated from God, you don't function right. You don't think right. Notice that it perverted their thoughts. This another, if the right Jesus isn't proclaimed, your thoughts are going to be corrupted. If another gospel is proclaimed to you, your thoughts are going to be corrupted. If you've received a different spirit, your thoughts are going to be corrupted. You're not going to think right. And that's what epithumia, which is the Greek word for lustful desire, seeks to do in your life, is to seek to distract you and get your focus off of what you need to be looking at and get it on something that is meant to waste your time and waste your life. Okay, let's go back to Genesis 3. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Are you getting anything out of this? I hope it's helping you. So this seducer, this enchanter, is something taking your focus away? Is something causing you to look away from maturity in Christ Jesus, get away from the Word of God, get away from the things of God? Is something taking you from relationship with other believers? If you're being enchanted by the promise of promotion, maybe it's overtime. Here's a big enchantment, overtime. I've never heard anybody say this. I thoroughly enjoyed working overtime all of my life and missing my kids growing up. And after three marriages... Because I, the reason why you're working overtime is not because it's offered. It's because of what you think is going to happen. Hello. Listen, here's a secret. And I, I've, I've got to close down. Here's a secret. You were created to see with your ears. You were created to see with your ears. It's what you hear that you see. Hello. Let's say, for instance, we have a young lady, very beautiful young lady, but because, you know, she was raised in a certain situation and, uh, you know, has this fallen condemnation and guilt and shame, you see, someone could come up and say, you know, you're a very beautiful young lady. You're very talented. You're very gifted. Now, she's hearing that. The vibrations are going into her eardrum, but she doesn't hear it because she's built a vision on what she's already heard. You're meant to see with your, with your ears, okay? That's the reason why Jesus said, be careful what you hear. And he said, be careful how you hear. Yeah. Amen? So, basically, when someone says, hey, you're going to get, you know, double time and a half. Okay? Your ear says, boat. <laughs> Come on, we know, we know. New car. Saddle. Come on. (laughs) I've never thought of a saddle, but I guess that's a much needed thing over on that side of the auditorium. It's a saddle. You see clothes. You see education for your kids. You see all of that, and you're motivated by what you hear that creates what you see. But then you realize that Uncle Sam takes 
majority of your overtime. So you never really get there. Even though you've convinced yourself by what you heard. Oh, you're, I don't know. Are you getting a hold of that? You heard and you saw, well, I've got to do this. I've got to work this second job. I've got to work. Listen, nobody, no, God doesn't want you to wear yourself out. Get you all, you know, the word for evil means toil. There's a difference between work and toil. Work is productive. It brings about good things. Toil is futile. It means that you're spinning your wheels, you're exerting energy that is taking away from you and not producing anything. And it is evil to toil. And a lot of people are toiling in this life because they have not truly been delivered from this present evil age. Hello. So what Satan is offering, they're hearing, but they're seeing something. They're hearing and they're seeing. They're hearing and they're seeing. Notice he comes at them not saying, did Yahweh say? He doesn't use the personal name of God. And that's what the enemy does. Did God you know, rolls his eyes, God say? He uses the word Elohim. Did Elohim say? You know, you've had friends like that. You going to church because God said? You doing that because God did? You know, they use the impersonal name because it's really good. In fact, when people are trying to, if you're married and they're trying to make a pass at you, they never call your husband George or Ben or they say your old man, your husband, your ball and chain. Come on now. They, they impersonalize. Come on now. You going home to that old lady? Come on. They impersonalize, and that's what Lucifer's doing. He's impersonalizing. He says, did Elohim say this? He didn't say Yahweh. They love Yahweh. They've walked with Yahweh. Yahweh's taught them things. Yahweh has blessed them. Yahweh has given them everything. But no, he doesn't use that. He uses that word Elohim. He impersonalizes God. And there are times when you're faced with temptation that to actually bring up the name of God is so offensive to you because your lust is so supercharged that you will do it based upon the fact that you're doing it against Him. Amen? That's the way He works. You can say amen or oh me. Notice in verse, uh, verse number, let's see, we're still in verse number 1. He said to the woman, did God actually say? So he's basically entering into word warfare. He's saying, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? So he's purposely setting her up. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. That's a lie. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. And you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Okay? So basically, he's trying to translate her from divine life to fallen existence. He's trying to disconnect her from her source and attach her to a different source. He's saying, turn your back on this Elohim. Turn your back on this. He doesn't care about you. In fact, he's withholding information from you. Because if he knows 
that if you partake of this, you're going to be on the same level. You're going to know the things that he knows, irrespective of experience and maturity. You're going to bypass him. You're going to outpace him. Isn't that the spirit of the world? You're going to get yourself ahead if you do this. And so notice this phrase here, and I'm going to close with this. It says, so when the woman saw, everybody saw, that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate and she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Okay, now here is where the matrix gets shoved into the psyche of Adam and Eve. It's right there in these three things. Good for food, delight to the eyes, and a desire to make one wise. Remind yourself of 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. It says, Beloved, do not love the world, the system, The word world is cosmos in the Greek. It means system, order, and arrangement. He's not saying don't love the Grand Canyon or the trees or the beautiful bumblebees. He's saying don't love the system that is over the earth. He says don't love the world system, neither the things of the world system, for all that is in. Everybody say all. So three ingredients. You don't add any more ingredients in this. Three ingredients, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And basically what he was doing was he was hooking her in to a system by which she did not now live from the outside, from the inside out. She started living from the outside in. And so she began to determine her life based upon Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. It was good for food, lust of the flesh. It was pleasing to the eyes, the lust of the eyes. And it was determined that it would make her wise, pride of life. Because we're always wanting ascendancy into higher levels above others. And the pride of life is the boasting of life. It's where we find our identity and what we have and the titles we've achieved and the things that we have done. It's where we find our total identity in life based upon exterior things, not based upon what God is doing on the inside of us. Jesus was tempted this same way. He came to His temptation And he was tempted with three temptations. And if you study those out, those three temptations were lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and pride of life. When it comes to the Word of God working in your life, we need to understand that there is opposition to this Word that I'm giving to you right now. That I am spitting out the seed of the Word of God, but yet you have the soil by which it can reproduce in your life. But there are different types of soil in people's lives. There is the soil that is the beaten path where the seed goes on this beaten path and the birds of the air come down and take the word to where it's no longer acknowledged. I'm here to tell you if you've got a hard heart here today to what is being said, you'll get no further than that back door and the spirits will come and take that word away from you. Then it talks about the rocky soil. The rocky soil, those that endure for a time, but when persecution begins to arise because of the Word's sake, they begin to just give it up. But then you come to the place where it's a briar bush, where it's weeds and and nettles and things of that nature, and the seed goes into those. That resembles the world system, my friend, because it has three things in it. The cares of this life, the deceitfulness of riches, and the lust of other things, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life.
I'm here to tell you Jesus combats that by saying that I'm the tree of life. He says, I am the way. I am the truth. And I am the life. There's your answer for the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. My road to experience. My reality of existence. Praise God. And my life. I will talk more about it when we get in there, but I'm telling you, there's a lot of interesting stuff. The Lord is wanting to show us a behind-the-scenes view of how this thing works because you were meant to break the system. Some of you are bound by things. Jimmy was bound. He's bound in his mind. But I guarantee you its roots are lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and pride of life. All physical torment, all mental torment, all mental oppression is based on those three things. What you're feeding on, what you're looking at, and what you deem important. That's your mixed drink or cocktail of destruction. The reason why we're so harassed in our mind is because we have opened the door to wrong thinking habits. We perceive our life only upon what we can take in ourselves, what we can see, and whether or not it's to our advantage. And when we live life that way, we take away obedience, submission, and sacrifice. And those are the three things that make up a good life. I know we don't like those. Those are cuss words. We don't like them. Ah, pastor, why'd you have to say that? We don't like obedience. We don't like submission. We don't like sacrifice. But the richness of your life is based upon those three things. When you get out of those things, you're in the other. When you stop living for the Lord and living for others, your life becomes a mess. When you start living for you and you start thinking about me and me only, trying to find me. I'm trying to find me. You ever had them talks with your kids? I'm trying to find me. Well, good luck. Because you ain't going to find you until you find him. Hello. I'm sorry. I'm sorry about that. You know, I'm going to say this again and again. People are putting on, I see it on Facebook, the literal insanity of Facebook. I've spent all my time helping others. And I haven't even thought about my own dreams. I haven't thought about my own desires. I just believe I need to take a break, people. Would you forgive me? Would you just forgive me? And I want to find me. Well, Jesus has got something to say about that. He says this, if any man follow after me, let him take up his cross. Let him deny himself. That word deny means to utterly forsake. That means you say bye-bye to you. Bye-bye. You suck. Come on now. I have to use a strong word because we've got to, we got to understand that. You haven't got yourself anywhere but a mess. You might be a successful mess, but you're a mess nonetheless. He says, let him utterly deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life will lose it. And whosoever will lose his life for my sake will find it. I find life by losing me. That word life is the word for soul, suke. And it means your mind, 
your will, and your emotions. Those are the three things that are hooked up to the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. He says you got to lose it. you got to disconnect yourself from the matrix. you got to pull that cord, and you got to get it out of the back of your psyche. And when you do that, you're going to find life. Because anything that's being piped in by those three channels is fabricated and false. But I have come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. I'm here to tell you, friends, if you're not born again here today, you need to unhook yourself. You need to unhook yourself from this fabricated reality. It is not real. You could gain the whole world and you could lose your soul. You could gain everything in this world and lose everything in eternity. And it's not worth it, friends. It's not worth it. So, we've got counselors that are going to be here. We've got altars where you can pray. Connect with God today. If you're here and you've never been baptized in the Holy Spirit, you need God to move in your life. You've been born again. Your name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life, but you're not receiving that power to be able to be a witness. You need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. If you need healing in your body, don't go one more minute without prayer. You need deliverance in your mind. Don't go one more minute. Don't walk out the same way you came in. I'm here to tell you Jesus victorious. Jesus victorious. Jesus victorious. And if we'll do what he says do, we'll live free. Hallelujah. I see people all the time, and I'm speaking by the Spirit of the Lord. There's people, when I, when I see them, I see these, these cords coming up from the back of them. And they're attached to something above. And I've seen it many times. In fact, many of you, when we've had prayer lines, you've seen me do this. I'll just say, I'm going to cut the cord. I'm going to cut the cord. And I'll pass my arm over it and cut the cord. And people will immediately begin to feel relief. But I'm here to tell you, if you're a born-again believer, and you have that same opposition and oppression, know this, that through mind renewal... In obedience to the Scripture, you can unhook yourself. You don't need a service. You don't need a man of God. You are a man of God. You are a woman of God. You can unhook yourself through discipleship, through paying the price, through stepping forward and stepping over the line, saying business as usual is over. I'm here to tell you 2024 needs to be a place in which you step over into a new area and you say, no more. I put a line in the sand and I'm not returning back to where I was before. Because I was hooked up to a system that was draining the very life out of my life. Amen. So they're going to be up here to pray with you. I hope to see many of you here at 5 o'clock. We're going to talk about the church and the vision of the church and answer any questions you might have about the church. So I encourage you to sign the list at guest services. We're going to have a good time tonight. Amen. Did you get anything out of that? I ran out of time. I don't want to keep you. This will change your life. You get a hold of these principles, it'll change your life. Hallelujah. Amen. Praise the Lord. You're dismissed in Jesus' name.